folks. I'm Cloud, the dungeon master and creator of Tales from the Table. Our story is set in an original fantasy world that I created. So before we jump in, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on what makes this world so special. In this episode, you'll hear me talk about the history of the world preceding the events of our campaign, and then you'll hear each of our players giving a brief narration of their character's backstory. Enjoy! Once, the world of Spira was untamed. In the times of myth, dragons teemed in the skies, and serpents filled the seas. Giants built towering palaces of stone, and fey lords danced in the shadows of ancient trees. The very earth and air breathed and spoke, and the word they spoke was magic. But that was long ago. As the eons passed, those ancient beings dwindled, and the mortal races rose to take their place. On the eastern edge of the middle continent of Avenis, the great city of Almeria was founded. Ruled by the exalted, seven mages of exceptional power, and worshipping Alu, the sevenfold goddess, the founders of Almeria believed that magic was too powerful and dangerous to allow it to be used by the masses. Only those trained at the city's great university and sanctioned by the state were permitted to study and cast spells. Peace and order were the highest law. Dissidents were stamped out with swift and brutal justice. Almeria's might grew, and it pushed west and south, conquering even far distant lands until at last its empire stretched from the raging coast to the steaming jungles of Hakari, from the ice-bound silver peaks to the sand-swept wilds of Solun, with all the broad green valleys and slow rivers of the Midlands in between. The empire ruled for thousands of years in peace and prosperity, until, a year ago, calamity struck. On a clear morning, an enormous shockwave of magical force ripped through Almeria, leveling huge portions of the city and killing thousands. The university was destroyed, the exalted and many of the high council were slain. The magical disturbance then spread throughout the empire, causing massive devastation and strange and terrible phenomena. Cities and people turned to stone, plants and animals mutated into monsters and attacked. Blood and fire fell from the skies, and the rivers turned to ash. The calamity was different everywhere it struck, but nowhere was left untouched. The very fabric of reality was warped, and the world trembled and groaned. When the dust settled, the true extent of the catastrophe was revealed. Those magic users who survived found that their spells no longer worked, and their prayers were no longer answered. Their power was broken. But magic was not gone from Spira. As the world struggled to rebuild, some individuals found that they had developed strange new abilities, some wondrous, some terrifying, but all wild and unpredictable. These newly empowered individuals came to be known as the Afflicted. One year after the Calamity, the remains of the Empire are struggling to reassert their power. Common people across the land are working to rebuild their lives in this strange, new, and often unpredictable world. And in the midst of this turmoil, three young adventurers set out to find their destinies. Or at least a decent dinner. And maybe, if they're lucky, dessert. A 
Athanasius was born to one of the most prominent families in the silver dragonborn capital of Radiance, the Anguissian branch of the Argentianus line. He hatched last in his three-egg clutch, after both his brother Arcturus and his sister Almatia. From an early age, the status and political position of their family put a massive amount of pressure on all three of them, although they each dealt with it in their own ways. Athen dealt with it by frequently escaping his household and spending time by himself in the nearby Draconic Ruins. Although almost everything was already known about these ruins, there was still one massive unanswered question that aided Athen's mind. Where had all the dragons gone? When he was old enough, he attended the university, hoping to become an archaeologist and linguist. Many of his kin, including his own family, his own brother and sister, thought that such pursuits were beneath their line, and beneath him. But there was one whom he could always confide in, his professor, Caius Quiriac Pelagius. Like Athen, he desired to discover the fate of the dragons, and the two became fast friends and colleagues. So it was that Athen was at the university when the calamity occurred, and while he managed to survive the blast with minor injuries, his friend Caius was killed. It was a few nights later that Athen had his first vision. His friend Caius returned to him in a spectral form and simply said, help us, all of us. Athen told no one of his vision. He knew that anything related to necromancy was strictly forbidden and that it would only cause more trouble for him. But the visions were persistent. They always involved a specter of the past, one with unfinished business who needed help of some sort. Eventually, Athen began to help them, and one by one, they helped him too. They guided him. They led him to food, work, anything that he seemed to need at the time, all for the cost of his help. Eventually, they led him to Ossilian, where he saw a sign with a very interesting job offer. Flower just wants to hug you. Twice. At the same time. He's your average serpent folk with a giant machete and a conviction in his heart to help the needy around him. A conviction he doesn't fully understand. Flower grew up in the city-state of Relish, deep within the Almerian Empire's jungle basin. His interest in other peoples and cultures led him to train to be a diplomat to other cities in the basin, but his friendly attitude and enthusiasm never quite made up for his tendency to speak before thinking. Instead, he was put to work hunting out in the jungle. The calamity struck Flower City quietly. While rumors spread from other cities of trees coming to life, the dead rising again, and snowstorms picking up out of nowhere, Relish seemed unaffected. But some of its citizens began to realize that their wounds weren't mending. Medicine didn't do anything for them. They had lost the ability to heal. While sparring with a friend, Flower got a shallow cut on his face that didn't scab over. It started to fester after a few days, and Flower very nearly died from the resulting fever. While he was sick, he had indescribable fever dreams and hallucinations of words spoken in languages he almost understood. He came to with his cut healed over into a nasty scar and a new tingling sensation in his many fingers. He discovered through a bit of trial and error that the tingling could close up the wounds of people who couldn't heal. The more he used the power, the stronger it became. 
And with that came the feeling that he needed to leave Relish, to leave the basin altogether. The feeling sat heavy in the back of his mind and kept him up at night. After several weeks of this, he made up his mind to leave. This didn't go over terribly well with the citizens of Relish, particularly the ones who needed his healing. They called him a selfish coward and refused to let him leave, so he fled in the night. He ventured out of the jungle basin for the first time in his life into a wide new world, hoping to find new opportunities to do good and an explanation for what his power was and what it wanted. Caden grew up in the northern mountains, an isolated region far from the prosperous and powerful cities in the heart of the empire. He had a blissful and happy life, with two loving parents and an aunt and uncle who were quite fond of him. Always a free spirit, he loved exploring in the rockety woods near his home, and his wanderlust made him a bit rebellious at times. But when the calamity hit, Caden's world came crashing down. A thunderstorm of unheard proportions tore through his village, killing his parents and his aunt. Left behind in the ashes of his burned home, Caden found a small blue crystal, no bigger than his fist. Caden kept this crystal close to him, as he felt it somehow kept a connection between him and his parents. With nowhere else to go, Caden moved in with his uncle Altus and his tea shop. As the season passed, Caden noticed something peculiar during stormy weather. He felt a presence, and he felt a stronger connection to it when the crystal was close to him. Eventually, Caden got into a heated argument with his uncle. Caden lashed out with a magical thunderous wave, and much to Uncle Altus's horror, destroyed every teapot and cup in the room. Uncle Altus realized that Caden had sorcerer's powers that had been passed down the family line and worked with Caden over the next few months to gain control over his powers. Eventually, Uncle Altus made a special thermos for Caden, just like his own. Caden's, however, had the crystal that he found the night of the calamity imbued right in the center of the thermos. Over these few months, Caden had focused his leisure time on attempting control over his powers. With the help of wise old Uncle Altus, Caden was able to master rudimentary control of his powers. Not long after this, however, Uncle Altus mysteriously disappeared in the middle of the night. Caden was left alone as weeks passed, but after no word or any sign of his uncle, Caden packed his things and set off to the south. Caden hopes that continuing mastery over his powers will not only help keep him safe, but might eventually lead him back to his uncle. As always, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps our show to be found. This episode was edited and produced by me, Cloud. Narrations were written and performed by Cloud, Kevin, Audrey, and Mac. The music in this episode was created by the chiptune artist, Kubi. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Find out more about the show and get in touch with us on our website, talesfromthetablecast.com, and on Twitter, at TableTalesCast. Now, enjoy the rest of our show! Music